Welcome to Frankly Speaking with Lynn Franks and Friends. I am Lynn Franks, your host, and this week I sat down with the very talented Sadie Frost. Sadie is a producer, an actor, a fashion designer, an author, and now a features film director. We discussed her documentary film, Quants, which I selected as our film of choice for our International Women's Day celebrations at the Seed Hub. We talked about her multifaceted career and how she has found balance through spiritual practices and staying still. Today, I'm in conversation with Sadie Frost, who I feel I know really well, but in fact, I'm usually for this, this podcast, I have never met. So thank you so much, Sadie, for being here. And the connection of you being here, of course, is that you've just directed this fantastic documentary, Quant, about Mary Quant, which we are showing as our special event for International Women's Day. So thank, thank, thank you. So because we don't know each other, although we reckon we've passed each other at various places, probably on the dance floor as well as various co- women's conferences. I've done a lot more research than I normally would. And I just realized as I was doing it, and I suppose the same thing happens, applies to me and a lot of other women we know, is that we have so many personas because, you know, you've got your bio, your, we're on Wikipedia, we're, we've got uh, all the rubbish that's on Google, then our personal backstory then our relationship with the people that we actually care and love, who, which has got nothing to do with anything else. And you have got an amazing story. I mean, never mind a documentary about Mary Kwan. I mean, you make a documentary. It's extraordinary. Your career, your life, everything. I, I'm really oh, blown. So if I asked you, blown away, if I asked you how to describe yourself, how would you describe yourself? God, it's, I mean, I, I've done many things. I've, I've been involved in rain dance quite a lot, rain dance, academy, film school, festival. And and Elliot Grove, who's like the head of rain dance, called me a media mogul. And I thought that was quite a good um, title because he's like, you know, you're a media mogul because you're an actor, you're a producer, you're a writer, you're a director, you're a journalist, you write. And, you know, I was like, okay, all right. Because, and, you know, for me, as well as all of that stuff and all those different careers, I'm also into my kind of yogi um, holistic, studied like massage and to be uh, a yoga teacher training to be a yoga teacher. And you are training to be a yoga teacher as well. I did. You I did, did that already. I've done that. So I kind of just done all these things. So I, I'm very. Um, I find it very difficult to to sit still and, I mean, and do do not much. So I'm kind of constantly going back to kind of school and doing another. I did an MA a few years ago in in film production, and I just like keeping busy. I, I think it's. Um, I get very excited by different ventures, so I do a lot of things. And you're a fashion entrepreneur. Let's not forget that. That's a whole other thing. Um, <laughs> now, I'm, yeah, I'm, I've got my yoga brand, which is called Frost Body, and I'd had uh, before Frost French with my best friend Jemima. So, yeah, there's been lots of different bits and pieces. And do you kind of follow your intuition? Do you is there a plan of action in advance, or do you just kind of go with the flow? I think I go with the flow and what's being offered to me and. You know, I, I might be thinking I'm going to be doing something within film, like producing, and then I might get offered a an acting role. And then, you know, and, and things just always seem to work out. I'm sometimes worrying about like the future and what I'm going to be doing and what this stage of my life's going to be. But then, you know, the different opportunities come at different times and then they just seem to happen and it all falls into place. There's no point in worrying about, will I be able to to do this? And what hap- if happens if I'm directing that? And, you know, but it all kind of works out in the end. And um yeah, so I go with my intuition and, and just let things happen. I mean, they do say, I say, of course, all the time, 
that women are capable of multitasking far more than men because you brought up four kids. I mean, more or less as a single mum. And um, you're juggling that and you had a big social life, which we've all heard about and read about. And the fact that you were married to two high-profile men at different times who were doing their careers and you had your own ups and downs as well, which, you know, I'd love to talk about because I think it's really inspiring for other women not to look at what's in the paper and see a pretty picture of you with a big smile with glamorous people and thinking, well, it's all right for her because you've had, you've had ups and downs after your children were born. You had certain depressions from, and all things that happened to you. So do you want to talk a bit about that? You know, life is life and it doesn't matter like what you have materially or, you know, who you're married to, whatever. And, you know, I was brought up in, um, you know, I came from like very bohemian family and it was very, um, unstructured and my mum had me when she was 16 and we lived all over the place and I lived in a bu- on a bus for quite a while when I was a kid and and then um my father was um a paranoid schizophrenic who had um had a drug problem which he, in in the end he he died from hep C and um I think growing up with like in an environment where you were the depressive parent it was always something that you know was hugely well it was terrifying to me to see mental health and you know how, and it was on my doorstep in my house. I was overly sensitive, very hi- hyper aware, and and could be depressive myself and obsessive. And you know, I think growing up with alcoholic parents or whatever, you can create your own kind of um, isms and illnesses yourself. So um, when I actually had my children, I got postnatal depression. I don't know if it was like a ticking bomb that was always going to be there, but the hormones um, combined with whatever was happening with with the kind of chemicals in my brain just created a huge kind of um pendulum of kind of just depression and highs and lows and and but the thing for me was um I always talked about it I was always I had very good friends that really steered me through it and and if anything it was a really good thing to have gone through because it really made me understand like the uh, human beings and to really be compassionate and to think about other people because human beings can be and are incredibly selfish and for me, it is all about realizing that all of the external things do, don't really matter. And it is what's going on with someone internally and, um, and being able to kind of read that in people and share that if you have it and just be there for like your family and friends. I think, I think we all kind of sometimes are so busy and rushing around and thinking that this kind of, you know, this fast kind of paced life is, so exciting but actually what's the most rewarding things are just like so close to you like I'm really loving spending more time with my mom you know the really simple small things matter to me right now and I think there were years when I went off on a tangent thinking you know living this life where you're not really in control of it and I think to be in control of your own life is amazing and then you can with the meditation and with the the belief and hope you can kind of really enjoy whatever you're doing in whatever situation you're in. Yeah, I was going to ask you about your spiritual beliefs. Uh, my, my father was a depressive. My father was bipolar, so I understand exactly what you mean by that. And he grew up in a household where his father was an alcoholic, and they do say it goes through generations. And my mother had to be the strong one. And I think, you know, there's no question about it. We get affected by, obviously, by our upbringings, and then we try and learn from those, not to bring those into our own children's lives, which is the best thing we can do. And I was always busy, busy. I mean, a lot of what you're saying resonates for me very deeply. And in my uh, time, my, uh, when I was in my 30s, I turned to Buddhism because I felt I was just 
crashing down into a heap. So through the practice of, which was a day is a daily practice because I do it again now of chanting every day is gives me that grounding and the structure to kind of go through everything else. So do you have a spiritual practice? Obviously you meditate. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'd kind of, I do Vipassana every day, which is a form of kind of uh, Buddhist meditation. You know, I do a lot of um, praying. I'm a member of something called Al-Anon, which has always been great for me, which is I went, I first started going when I was about 16, um, which is when you've been, um, it, it's, for me, it was, I went from being brought up in with an alcoholic parent um, and I was very controlling and very obsessive. So it just helps me to hand things over because I can get so caught up in the craziest things and thinking that actually isn't reality. So you, so by doing Al-Anon, which is a spiritual program for me, but I, I do many things and many different types of meditation and, you know, keeping myself physically fit is very important to me from yoga to Pilates. I just came back now from a trapeze lesson. So I'm always doing something different. And um, I think those things drive me and make me feel alive. And just being able to sit with yourself and do nothing is important as well. So it's getting the mixture of, of, of kind of getting out there and not feeling, I guess we've all gone through like a huge isolation, which I found very difficult, but also getting out there, but also being able to sit with yourself and feel happy with who you are. Yeah, which is also very interesting for, as far as a reflection on the way I've been feeling about things, because I was always getting on a plane every five minutes. I had, my main home was in Mallorca in Dare. I'd be going all over the world. And I have just sat still for the last two and a half years. I haven't even been to London. And um, just staying still, even at this point in my life, has been quite an experience, which in many ways has brought a lot of benefits, actually being with my dogs and being in my home and feeling it and being with a close group of friends around here and with the help, obviously, of technology. So I've been able to communicate more uh, in many ways with friends all over the world than I did when I was rushing all over the place, which is ironic. It's kind of brought us to a strange place now, a kind of hybrid life. I don't know if you're online as much as I am, but it is this sort of hybrid of, of getting back into being with people in the real world, which is why I'm so excited about showing Quant. So this is your first directing uh, movie, well, documentary. What made you choose Mary Quant or did she, did she or the project choose you? How did it work? It was a bit of both. I think um, I've been producing different projects for a while and I've been working in this company called Goldfinch and the CEO is um, Kirsty Bell and she'd been um, approached to do the, the story about Mary Quant, the documentary, and me and her had worked together on other things. And she came to me and she said, you know, I really think you could be, you could direct this. And I just didn't think it would ever happen or didn't think I, it was possible. And it, I really felt like it was a huge task to go from producing to directing and, and, and a feature length project but I said I would think about it and I went away and kind of wrote the idea of what I thought it should be and my wish lists and went away and did a documentary filmmaking course and from that you know it all just happened it all got put together and it got financed people were really involved and really supportive and um it then the pan you know we started putting it together and the pandemic happened so it was hard to film everyone I wanted and it was I had to work twice as hard to get anything that I wanted but I made compromises and I was flexible and I it was sometimes limiting with the filming but I got longer in in the edit suite so I got like a good year to edit with my amazing editor and then it really came together at the end very quick because I didn't think we'd have the money to finance it and then I entered it into the London Film Festival when it got in. 
And then we had to finish it. I said to the producers, you really do have to find the money to finish this now because it's in the London Film Festival. And, you know, I think being a woman directing a, a project about a woman and the main kind of objective of, of the documentary and creating this portrait of her, it was liberating. And I kind of had a female editor. I had a female producer. It was about a woman. It was directed by a woman. And it was just very exciting to kind of pull this whole thing together. And I felt like I understood Mary, I think. Did you get to meet her? Because she's not very well now, is she? She's not very well. And there was, um, I got with her son Orlando very well and we, we did discuss it. And then COVID happened. So it was put on hold. And then, you know, she's 92, 93. You know, I, I think she's just so, being that age, it, it wasn't the right thing for me to go and meet her and talk to her about this documentary. But she saw it and she's seen the trailer and her son came along to the premiere and her grandchildren. And apparently she she likes it a lot and is very happy. Um, but I felt like I really understood and, and got to know her and spending so much time talking about her and hearing other people talk about her and also the editing suite creating the story. I just felt like, um, yeah, I was completely inside her head and, on, and I, I began to start talking like her, which was quite weird in the end. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, of course, we're showing Quant, which I'm so thrilled about, uh, for our International Women's Day special kickoff evening, we've got a, a six days of celebrations down in my little town of Wing Canton in Somerset. We've got all sorts of things going on. And uh, we have Wendy Dagworthy, who is uh, a great friend of mine, who, of course, was head of the Royal College of Art and met Mary because Mary used to come in as an external, I don't know what they had. She had some title at the Royal College of Art, so she'd be coming working with the students. And um, uh, we have virtually sold out. I only announced it a few days ago. We I mean, don't have a huge space here, yeah. but uh, everybody's like, you've shown Quant, I'm coming, I'm coming. So there's such a good vibe out about it. It's- I wish I could um, come down, but I, I have a, like my first trip far away in quite a, a couple, you know, in a few years. So I'm going to be the other side of the world. But I, um, yeah, we did a and a down in Hastings and it, I mean, it was sold out. I mean, so many of these Q&As in Screenings have been sold out, and it's amazing. Like um, people from like nineteen to ninety coming. Yeah, well, it's the same here. And, and as I, I mentioned, I'm going to be showing it to a group of fourteen year old schoolgirls who I mentor down here, who are really excited about seeing it as well. Which is which is which is great. So one of the things that I noticed on your bio um, is that when you did your MA that you talked about, you specialised. Your thesis was about does filmmaking does it get affected your career in filmmaking if you were a mother, if you're bringing up children? And I suppose as a woman generally, what, what's the uh, conclusion that you came to when you were looking at that? What was interesting was um, I, it, different women thought different things. So I spent a lot of time talking to very prominent female producers like Rebecca O'Brien, Sarah Radcliffe and, um, and, and a couple of others. And, what, and what, some women were like, absolutely. And some were absolutely not. What I feel and from my own experience of being in the industry for 40 years and meeting so many different women, being actors to producers, directors or whatever, it really does affect your career. I think having one child maybe doesn't affect it so much. Having two or three or four children, you never get the momentum to go back. And I mean, even when I did, I had a baby, I was doing films when I was like 19, 20, 21. I had a big film out with Gabriel Byrne. And I'd had a baby and I remember the casting director saying I was 24 years old. The whole conclusion was, nope, she's passed it. She's had a child. 
she's you know she, she's never going to get a role i mean they, they literally said things like that and then i went i went and auditioned for dracula in in america and didn't tell france for copper i had a baby i remember like recreating myself completely so he didn't know anything about me and hadn't and you know, I and I got that role down to me doing the audition and and what I, what he saw in the audition, um, and then that just seemed to happen every time I had a had a year or two off to have a baby and be a good mum, go back even though I was working hard, whether I'm studying or doing an MA or whatever, people would write me off, and I had to fight that much harder. And I ha- I've seen it with lots of you know first time like there's a lot of theses and papers on um, women that have one baby to women that have two babies to so a lot of directors female directors might direct one film or two films and they have one child and then the more children they have they just drop off did did you um talk to Alison Owen at all in this because she's a great friend of mine who actually I've done a podcast with as well and of course she became a producer and was juggling three small children and was a single mum for much of that time I'm sure she would I mean I think we crossed paths in America but no I didn't speak to her I should have done but I think, you know, I just, I've just seen so many, um, women's careers then find it very hard after they've had three children. Oh, uh, yeah. No, it is. It's terribly hard. I mean, when I look back, I only had two children, but you know, I had to have a whole support team and I didn't even get, stop working when I was giving birth hardly, which made me quite ill and a stupid thing to do. And my children, who I adore, and I've got seven grandchildren now, haven't really forgiven me for not being around in the crucial years, which you obviously did do. So, um, you know, that was the times. It was- I think you miss a lot and, and, and it's getting that balance of, um, you know, having a good relationship with kids and working. I felt like I kind of managed to juggle it pretty well. I kept, I kept my foot in, but, I, but not too in, but it definitely affected a lot of things in my career, but I kind of feel that it all worked out right. And I don't have any resentments that I didn't do this and I didn't do that. And I do see the industry as being quite kind of um sycophantic and um you know trivial compared to what's sometimes going on in the real world and you know family life like your children are important so but there were things I missed you know like sports days now and again and and I couldn't be there the whole time but I think um you know I, I, I got a good balance but it's hard if you're a single mom I think definitely doing all this stuff um you have to work you know I always said it's like having four children and having a career and you know my career is like two or three different jobs it's you know I'm running a salt your career seven. alone is enough for most people never mind that yeah. four children and I'm just feeling <laughs> and I'm just trying to kind of like balance out you know like oh, okay got to keep this going got to keep that going okay and my brain because of that has to kind of operate very quickly and fast and pick things up and put them down and it was interesting because I sometimes get quite stressed with the kind of producing side and the finance side and the money side to the creative side. And this film that I just directed, I really loved the creative side. It's like the left and right brain, isn't it? I mean, left and right. And I was finding, why am I getting this thing where I feel like my brain is constantly like having a fight with itself and the pressure. And then someone just said to me last week, and it all made sense. You're switching from your left brain to your right brain to your left, like constantly. And that is when that, well, when you're getting that complete, your brain just feels like it's going to explode. So that's why I'm going away. And you're going to do meditation and yoga in India? Medi- yeah, meditation, yoga, and, and kind of any kind of... Anything going that's going to make you feel chilled out. Bring it on, bring it on. But I um, I just want to not do any... I, I just want to do the creative and I've got a script to finish and just completing all the paperwork on on um next documentary that I'm directing, which is about another female icon, which I can't 
let you know now, but it's in, you know, we'll be announcing it very soon. So I want to go away and just get submerged myself into that. Yeah. I was going to ask you what, what you're doing next. So where do you see on, from a career point of view, your focus? Is it going to be directing feature films or, or producing? So, I mean, what I'm really looking forward to is directing this next documentary. And there's um, another fashion one that I've been writing and setting up as well. So I've got two fast, two different fashion documentaries. And then I've got a kind of thriller feature length film that I've written that I want to direct as well. So there's about three, four projects that I want to direct. And there's a couple of producing projects. And then I really do want to say I'm coming out the other side because I keep saying I want to come out this other side and spend more time. I want to go and, you know, spend some time in New Yorker in, in the mountains, you know, near Dea and things like that. But what happens is every time I get the opportunity, I, I'll take another job. But I do at some point want to do, to live that kind of life and have a bit of time out. And what's, what's driving you? What does drive you? Is it to do with your childhood, your upbringing, that instability, which means that you're constantly pushing on for, or what is, you tell me. I think I, think I was ready to kind of, to, to ease things down a bit and, and spend a bit more time doing you know less but then when I get an opportunity and an exciting opportunity it, I just think I should take it because I think with with the success of Quant and and it's been really lovely how people have um given me opportunities and wanting to talk to me you know whether other um film companies or streaming platforms I feel like I should take those opportunities because I might if I said no and then in two years I'm, I won't get this opportunity again and do you have time for a personal life still or, or is that gone yeah, I mean, I, I it, it's very different, isn't it? I, I sometimes get, you know, the kids, half of my kids have left home. Some of them are in, that, in the house um, just about. But I feel that I get quite lonely in the sense that we don't have the big Sunday lunches and we don't have all this time. And, and that's really affected me. And then um, I became single in August and I, I've been in a relationship for 10 years. So that was a bit of a shock as well because it's, you know, it was my decision and I wanted to be on my own. And I feel like I've constantly compromised who I am for, for bringing up my kids or, or for the relationships I was in. But I also feel like it's a bit weird as well because I'm like, okay, I'm on my own and I'm eating dinner on my own. You can't, you know, a few times a week eating dinner on your own and not going out. Like I'm suddenly feeling like, oh my God, I'm actually quite lonely. Um, so it's getting the balance of, of keeping a social life up. I know what you mean. And I mean, the same thing. I mean, the one good thing is I have these bedrooms here, which are a B and B, um, but I have friends coming to stay, but there are obviously evenings when it's me, the cat and the two dogs. Yeah. And I'm sitting there having dinner and watching Netflix or whatever uh, and thinking, how did I end up like this? But after such a busy social life and then there's other bits of me, which is, well, it's kind of good because it gives me a bit of space and. Um, and I turn down social things quite a lot these um, these days because it's just it's all too much. But no, it's exactly the same. I don't know what the, the compromise is. So it's, it's getting the balance of having rewarding social life where you you know like I think sharing food and you know nice kind of conversation and wine and not. I mean, I don't want to go out out. I just want to like engage with fun, like minded people. But yeah, so I also have this cafe and a whole hub going. I think I've sort of created the place that I want the sort of place I want to live in but accidentally totally intuitively no plan either but I've got a cafe a really beautiful cafe and and I've got these bedrooms and I have these workshops here and so on so that once a month we do a women's gathering where we have guest speakers perhaps you'll come down for that when you're back that would be great and and they are absolutely sold out we get I mean it's not a lot of space but it's we have maybe 30 women and it's it's become really important to get together they meet each other they make new friends and then online I've got a community 
as well, which just grows again for the same reason of women wanting community. And my, my theory is, and it's more than the theory, my strong belief is that the future of the world has got to be about women taking their leadership roles, whether it's being in the entertainment industry or whether it's in community or wherever it is and working with other women, creating change. It's not a change that we want our children and our grandchildren to grow up in, which we are not going to see if we're relying on the current systems, whether it be political or whether it be the media, the media, mainstream media or big companies. If we're expecting them to create a world that we want to live in, we're going to be vastly disappointed. So it's really up to women in small communities to really create the change and, and have the friendship groups and support each other. So whether, I mean, some of the women I work with and I, hang out with a married and got a partner some aren't it it's irrelevant almost it's like it's about the the, the pod as i call it of the women's group because you've got a friendship group that you've had for years I, i'm sure you're still very close with everybody, everybody goes off into their different you know some of my friends have moved to cotswold some to move to new york everybody that i know who we all when we all used to hang out a lot together has moved away from my area. There's not that many people. Yeah, it was the same for me and Daya. My best friends in Australia, another friends in Canada. It's the same thing. It's, and of course, Meg Matthews, who I've also interviewed here, which is a great, who I know is a great friend of yours. Uh, she's in Cornwall now. I mean, people have spread out. So we just have to kind of, I guess, hang on. Yeah. And it's good what you're saying about the getting in community for me. You know, I, I am, I'll make an effort to, it sounds a bit cliche, go to a quiz night or go to ballet lessons. I've been going yeah. to you know, just doing things outside my comfort zone because you, you know, it is easy to get isolated, but I've got a lot of good female friends. So, um, but they're just all over the place now. Yeah, no, I understand. So talking about my views of how the world can change, I ask all my guests when we come to near the end of our conversation, if you could create a vision for the world, it's a big question. I asked it of these uh, 14 year olds the other day. I said, if you had a magic wands and you could do anything you wanted in the world, what would you do? And the question, the answers that came from them was just so inspiring for me, you know, create a world of equality, create a world of safety, enough food for everybody, but the actual practical ways of how we can make that happen or some kind of ideas of what we might do together as a, as a collaborative world of women, what would you suggest? Well, I mean, the thing for me that, you know, I've always, it's been my biggest decision in my life and, and, and obviously it, it makes sense hugely now is I've always been vegetarian, you know, I've never eaten meat or fish. I hate any kind of suffering, whether it's human suffering or animal suffering. And I just feel like the way, um, you know, animals have been exploited, the way the planet's been exploited, you know, if, if people actually weren't so greedy when it came to eating and the welfare of animals and, and, and what they consumed, I think, that, you know, that would be the first step in balancing things out. You know, I, d I you know, I've never understood how anyone can make something suffer. And I just think that would be a good start if, if the whole planet could respect themselves and animals. And if everybody learned to meditate and everyone learned to pray, not if they're not, if, if they're not even praying to what, what they think is a God, but just pray to just like to, to create hope, we'd all be more positive. And I think it's so easy for, you know, things to get more, you know, um, negative, um, hateful and, you know, this whole kind of aggressive, um, hateful thing that human beings can have is just going way out of control and the kind of bullying and the negativity and the, I think it just starts with like, it starts in really small gestures. And I think if it just started there, if everyone just had to kind of 
spend a bit of time in the morning doing gratitude let list, praying, caring for themselves and their neighbours and their family, we would all be a bit more respectful to to everybody and, and, and to the rest of the planet. I just feel more than ever um, something that I really feel like is upsets me is this whole you know, this, the, the, the rich are getting so much richer and the poor are getting so much poorer. There's so many programs and news bulletins and commercials about, you know, the poverty in the world and people not having places to live and people in, you know, in war zone areas and all the things that happen. I'm like, and then you have these crazy, crazy people who are just sitting on billions and billions of pounds and getting richer and richer and exploiting the whole planet. And, and I just... And sending, sending rockets off to other planets as well. I mean, I just don't understand it. And I, and I find it just really upsetting that we are, we are allowing, not that we've got in some ways control and power, but we are allowing people to that to happen. And, and, and everyone needs to wake up to, to kind of, there has to be more balance. There has to be more equilibrium. There has to be you know, a more positive planet. And, and, and at the moment, from what I see, I just see the negative side and I don't see anything changing. And I think people are getting more aggressive, more greedy, more ugly. Um, and, and, you know, I, I'm kind of losing hope, really. Don't lose hope. Hope was the one word that these 14-year-olds came up with, hope. And if they are the future, you know, that, that's, it's the, that is the age group. And if we can create some kind of hope. I'm also mentoring a young 20-year-old woman who's in Pakistan, who's Afghan. Her family uh, have had to escape from Afghanistan um, and they are currently in sort of no man's land at this centre waiting for a visa. And just talking to this girl, she speaks five languages, she wants to study fashion, they're waiting to go to the States because that's where her older sister is. And just talking to her about positivity with her whole family stuck in Pakistan. I mean, what they've been through, the father was killed by the Taliban. I mean, there is a lot to change, but if we can keep the young people hopeful and if we can be, I mean, obviously you're a lot younger than me, but if we can be in that wise woman role and hold the energy for the next generations to come, the seven generations to come even, as as the Indigenous women say, we can make that happen. I, I, if I felt that we couldn't, I don't know, I'd just give up today. I think you're right. That's the way to look at it. I, I just sometimes get quite negative and I've been finding it. I've been, you know, quite depressed by what I've, you know, the last couple of years. And, um, but the thing is, when I look at my and all the, the young kind of children, feet girls and everything, I just want to create positivity within them and, and kind of. And hold, hold the space. That's why I believe we chose to be born now to be the wisdom keepers, hold that energy and hold that space so the future generations can move in with hope and we can show them by our mistakes as much as anything how they can create a different kind of world. So I hope you'll really hope you'll come down here. I'll, sit, I'll send you an invite and we'll, we'll work on some ideas together. And having started off not knowing each other, now as we come to the end of Frankly Speaking, I do feel I am speaking to a friend and, and I really hope we'll stay in touch. Have a fantastic time in India. Say hello to India for me. I, I miss India. Oh, I will. And I hope your um, event goes well and everyone enjoys the film and I definitely will come down and see you. Wonderful. Okay, I look forward to it. Have a great, great holiday and uh, see you soon. Bye. Namaste. Namaste. For our unique seed exercise to go alongside this podcast, I'd like to talk about the importance of getting out of our comfort zone to do an action which is going to help others. Sadie and I discussed how overwhelming the world can appear at times 
and how we can create change by starting with small gestures of kindness to ourselves and those in our communities. So why not do a small random act of kindness to a stranger, even just say hello to someone you see every day and don't usually acknowledge? Let's reach out, let's communicate, let's collaborate and let's connect. Thank you so much for listening and taking part in Frankly Speaking with Lynn Franks and Friends. Remember, we're going to be putting up episodes every two weeks and we hope to have you back with us again soon. If you like what you hear and want to learn more practical methods to help you plant the seeds in your own empowerment journey, then please subscribe to this podcast, rate it and review. Also, you might want to join our Seed Network if you haven't already. And together with thousands of like-minded women, you'll be able to make friends, promote your business and share your stories. Visit seednetwork.com to find out more. And until then, I'll see you next time.